0: From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. In the final days of a government, before an election is called, last-minute appointments are often made. Last week, the Morrison government made 19 of those to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Half of the people appointed have ties to the Liberal Party or to Conservative politics. Sparking concerns about whether they're qualified and whether the process is impartial. Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on the Administrative Appeals Tribunal and the case of one young man who never got his chance at redress. It's Wednesday, April 13. Rick, One thing that the Morrison government did in the very last week before it called the election was to make some appointments to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the AAT. So why are those appointments so important for us to take a closer look at?
1: So the AAT is there to check the decision-making of the government to make sure that those people who made the decisions have actually made them correctly.
2: The decisions the AAT most commonly reviews relate to child support, family assistance and social security...
1: That's the entire job of the tribunal. It really is, in many cases for some people, the last avenue they have to seek redress from decisions that they think have been made in error.
2: Visas, the NDIS, taxation, veterans' entitlements and workers' compensation for employees covered by Commonwealth laws.
1: It's actually really important.
2: And we aim to make our review process Accessible, fair, just, economical,
1: informal and quick. And they can be really vulnerable people in vulnerable positions. Uh, And one particularly shameful example, I think, of the failing of this system um, and the way people are forced to go into this system is the story of Toby Tyne.
0: Okay, so it sounds like it's an important kind of place of of last resort for people who who need help. Is that the case with Toby? Can you tell me about him and, and what happened to him?
1: Yeah, Toby Tyne was the first person in the world diagnosed with spondylo ocular syndrome, um, this rare genetic disorder. And his younger brother, Hunter, was the second. So, Toby, what are your days like at the moment?
2: Um, most of my days are very painful.
1: What kind of, uh, forgive me for asking, but like what kind of pain?
2: You... Yes, yeah, in my bones.
1: Yeah. And there are many symptoms of this syndrome, but particularly for him, it made his bones so brittle, so fragile, that he could barely move, sometimes breathing the wrong way. He could shatter a bone or break a bone. When was the last time you actually left your bed? Is it, has it been a year? Yeah. It was the la-
2: last time I left bed was probably to go to the hospital.
1: Uh, that's right, yeah. And when I spoke to him, he had been declared terminal um, by his doctors, so he knew that he had a finite um, lifespan. Forgive me for asking, Toby, but like when they say that you're you've been made palliative, do you know roughly what that means? Like how long? Told
2: me I'm terminal, but I could have years left.
1: Yeah, but your condition's not getting better.
2: No, my condition's getting worse.
1: Yeah, and in fact, he had spent time before I spoke to him last year, planning his own funeral.
0: Most people with a disability don't have someone to advocate for them. So many people that just are out there unseen.
1: Because of his condition, his mother, Angela Tyne, had spent quite a lot of time with his disability advocates, with Toby, he still had a voice of his own, trying to get funding.
2: It's literally designed, I'm sure, to send
1: you... Bring him back shit crazy. Yeah. Or to just... turn you off it. Yeah. Because... Not long after I spoke to him the first time, his entire NDIS funding package was basically cut in half.
0: Seriously, I I was
2: absolutely gobsmacked.
1: And Angela is a single mother looking after Toby 24-7. And, you know, he needed 24-7 care. He could not leave his bed. Um, They were seeking home modification so that at least he could get some hydrotherapy in the pool that was located there because there was nowhere else in the region that they could do it. Uh, It was the only way that he could actually use his body and keep his muscles and and his condition in check. And because of COVID, that made things doubly difficult. But the NDIS refused. Uh, The agency in charge of it refused.
2: I want to be Toby's mum for him to have to have me do his care
0: and it just takes away all his
1: dignity. And so eventually to get that and some more nursing support and personal care support, they had to appeal the indecision of the NDIA, the agency internally, and then they had to take it to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, which is where they were at when I last spoke to them last year.
0: Right. Okay. So Toby who is Bedridden with this terminal illness. The funding for his care has been halved and he's unable to get the support that he needs. So he takes this to the tribunal. What happens when he gets there?
1: The same thing that happens to a lot of people under the NDIS. It got stuck um, in the tribunal. And so they had been waiting since I spoke to them in the middle of last year and they were still waiting. When I got a call a couple of weeks ago now from Toby's mother, Angela Tyne, and Angela was actually calling me to say that Toby had passed away. He died at the time. It was a couple of weeks ago when she spoke to me, so it's more than a month ago now. And she kind of obviously had to sit on that information. She was grieving. She was traumatised. And so automatically what that means is that the case is gone. Toby has a younger brother called Hunter who has the exact same condition that he had and Hunter's progression will be similar to Toby's. So Angela didn't want to just let that be the end of it. She said, I really want want people to know that this is the process that many people are forced to go into. And Toby died before he got any sense of restitution or justice. And it's not the AAT's fault. The AAT, the tribunal, is trying to do its best to work through these things, but it's had its funding cut in the most recent government budget. So as the caseload grows to historic highs it's working its way through them with less money than it had in the year before.
0: Right, okay. So the tribunal has, has had its funding cut and it's struggling to provide decisions in a timely manner to the extent that someone like Toby has actually died, died waiting to get a ruling on their case. And it's in this context that all of these new appointments are made to the tribunal. So can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Well, it's that magical twilight right before
2: an election is called where, let's say, magical things can happen, especially
1: if you're a friend of the government. This coalition government, they had some appointments that needed to be made to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, or the AAT. Former Liberal MPs, staff members and party donors are among those appointed to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal in what Labor is branding a jobs-for-mates exercise. And in the dying days of this government, that's exactly what we got. They've selected 19 new members, um, including a deputy president and some senior members for the AAT, half of whom have some ties to the Liberal Party or Conservative politics. So are you saying that party affiliation automatically should disqualify
2: somebody? No, I'm not. I'm saying it shouldn't be the only qualification. And unless you've got a transparent...
0: We'll be back in a moment. As a
2: a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters.
0: As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper, For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Rick, we've been talking about the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, the AAT, and the people who can find themselves before that tribunal, people like Toby, who passed away before he was able to get any help. The reason we're talking about it, though, today is because the makeup of the tribunal has just changed. So the Morrison government has appointed 19 new people last week. Can you tell me a bit more about who those 19 people are?
1: I absolutely can. A lot of them were Liberal Party veterans and apparatchiks. So, for example, uh, let's take Cheryl Cartwright. So she's a former chief of staff to Ben National's MP Warren Truss and the current Chief Executive Officer of the Australian Pipeline and Gas Association. And she was vaulted onto the tribunal.
2: Right. Uh, so, again, um, someone who is eminently qualified... I mean, should be legally
1: she, qualified as well.
2: Uh, I don't believe she right. is legally qualified.
1: So... Uh, Michaelia Cash said that by virtue of her being the CEO of the Australian Pipeline and Gas Association.
2: Uh, she is someone who is able to work under pressure.
1: I don't know whether McCallick Cash, the Attorney-General, was trying to make some kind of reference to the fact that gas is pumped under pressure, but there you go. Uh,
2: so again, um, I would say eminently qualified right. for the role. Was she on the, the Expression of Interest Register? I'd need to take that on notice for you, Senator Carr.
1: And we've got current coalition advisors who have been selected for the tribunal and former MPs, including two former West Australian Liberal MPs from the state government there, including the former Attorney General, Michael Mission. Michaela Cash is a WA MP herself in the Liberal Party over there. So it's quite a few links floating around. Now, just for reference, uh, new appointees can earn $249,000 a year, and a senior member of the AAT can earn $391,000 per year. Michael Mission, who was appointed as Deputy President, Um, will get just under half a million dollars each year for that job.
0: Wow. Okay. And there's no doubt that the people that you're telling me about, Rick, these are high-profile, high-powered political people. So what is the, I suppose, the vetting process for them to get these appointments? Is there a selection criteria? How exactly does it work?
1: There is a protocol and the protocol says essentially you can do whatever you want. So what happens is that the president of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal can make a list of recommendations to the Attorney-General. What can then also happen is that they can advertise publicly and say, we've got an expression of interest register. If you're a lawyer or someone else who, uh, you know, you think you're suitably qualified, put your name down. But again, not every name that was on that expression of interest register was chosen and there were names that were not on that register that were handpicked by the Attorney-General. Seven clearly states that's right. the Attorney-General is not limited to candidates that's recommended right.
2: by the President of the AAT.
1: And we know that because she said it. Michaela Cash said it in the Senate.
2: And may choose to recommend to Cabinet Day candidate for a position that has not been suggested by the President of AAT or is not on the register.
1: She said, it's right there in the protocol. They don't have to be on any of those lists.
2: I mean, I challenge you to point out which one of those 19 new appointments are not qualified. Well, let's go through that. If you want to raise that, if you've raised that issue, the 19 okay. new appointments.
1: Those names, then selected by the Attorney General, go to Cabinet, and they're signed off. And that's exactly what happened in this process. So there is no vetting process now. Many of them, but not all of them, have legal experience. But in Callanan, who was commissioned to review the performance of the AAT in 2018, he was excoriating in his review of the tribunal saying that no person should be appointed to any opening or reappointed to the tribunal if they do not have a legal degree, which is really just a coded way of saying, stop bringing political hacks in to do this work. Now, Michaelia Cash says, well, if you've worked in government, that is qualification in and of itself because the tribunal is there to go over government decision making so the government kind of has been appointing people to the tribunal since 2013 labor does it too when they're in government and there are currently now about 320 members of the tribunal but the workloads have been increasing massively and the callinan review found that you know part of the reason for that is that there's not enough members and they're not appropriately qualified and no amount of training justice callinan said no amount of training can make you form that job impartially and with trust if the parties in proceedings have the AAT do not have some faith in that institution. And that review has not been responded to still.
0: And Rick, what do you think the effect of these appointments is likely to be? And when I ask that, I think I'm very specifically asking about the effect on the people who are the ones actually coming to the tribunal saying that they have a problem with a government department that they're interacting with and that they need help and that they need that help quickly.
1: Yeah. Look, I mean, we need more members of the tribunal. That was That's a clear fact. Um, so the fact that there are new appointments is a good thing as a global thought, but it's the perceived politicisation of the tribunal that is the problem because people need to trust the system, right? And there is nowhere else you have to go to the tribunal first in most cases before you can get any kind of redress or clean set of eyes on a decision. And the further down this road we go, the further we kind of alienate people who are just there to get a second set of eyes on the government decisions that really affect them, whether it's welfare support, whether it's disability support, migration matters, all of those things. And really what that means after all of the political games are over, is that people will not get the decisions made in a timely manner that they need them to be made in. What, like, what do you think when you have to deal with this bureaucracy and them telling, oh, no, you know, you don't need it, or we're going to wait six months? My
2: human rights aren't met.
1: Yeah. It must be frustrating.
2: Yes, it is, and I feel like, because I've got a disability, I don't mean
1: as much as people without a disability. Yeah. Toby Tyne's a perfect example of that. He died. He died while he was waiting for his very legitimate claim to be going through the tribunal system, and it didn't even make it to mediation.
0: Rick, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Ruby.
0: Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Mementa. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, Pakistan's parliament has elected Shabazz Sharif as prime minister after a week-long constitutional crisis which came to a head after his predecessor, Imran Khan, lost a no-confidence vote on Sunday. The new Prime Minister is the younger brother of three-time Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. And on Tuesday, Shanghai recorded over 22,000 cases of COVID-19 in a single day. China's largest city, with a population of over 25 million, has been under an extended lockdown for several weeks. Earlier this week, local officials announced residents in areas where no cases had been detected for 14 days could leave their homes as long as they follow health protocols. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.